Podcraft. This episode is sponsored by Still Point Wellness. I love Still Point Wellness. I love the staff. I love their services. They offer a very unique spa experience in Asheville. All of their services are designed to help you unplug from the stresses of today's modern world. And boy, do we all need that. They do it through services like saltwater flotation, also known as sensory deprivation, the world-renowned Esalen Massage, cranial sacral therapy, and somatic psychology. They are locally owned and operated by my dear friends, Corey Costanzo and Robin Fan Costanzo. Corey is a somatic therapist and he teaches mindfulness meditation courses. And Robin is an internationally renowned massage instructor who was actually inducted into the Massage World Hall of Fame. Their highly skilled massage staff have each trained under Robin and each earned full certification to practice Esalen Massage. I love Esalen Massage. I know it. I'm an Esalen Massage practitioner. It is a fantastic massage. Together, Koi and Robin have created a world-class experience in understanding the mind-body connection through deep relaxation. So contact them at stillpointwell.com or call 828-348-5372. And remember to mention the code PREPO to get 10% off your first float. I really believe that you're going to love the experience. So you know what the number one issue that people come to see me to better their relationships? They say that they want to communicate better. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. On this episode, I have a conversation with a very dear friend of mine, Corey Costanzo. Corey wears many hats. He earned a master's degree in clinical psychology with a concentration in somatic psychology. He's a trauma and anxiety specialist, a licensed clinical addictions counselor, a certified Esalen massage and somatic experiencing practitioner. He's a music therapist and a mindfulness meditation teacher. He also co-owns Still Point Wellness, an award-winning spa in Asheville, North Carolina. Corey balances his professional time by offering private sessions at Still Point Wellness, teaching students somatic psychology at the Center for Massage and Natural Health, and volunteering his time weekly at the Asheville Community Yoga and the Buncombe County Jail, where he leads restorative yoga and didgeridoo classes. So we had an interesting conversation of how addictions affect relationships. Corey, being a clinical addiction counselor, gave a lot of good input, and we talked about what to do to help improve relationships when addiction is present. We also talked about how to know when it is an issue and what the non-addictive partner can do to help themselves in the relationships, especially through the benefit and importance of going to Al-Anon. So give a listen. I think that you will find it very beneficial. 
for joining me tonight and we're going to be rapping about uh, addictions and how it affects relationships and uh, I love having these conversations with you you being an addiction counselor and uh, me being a couples counselor and we get to collaborate a lot so I'm curious to hear from your experience how addictions affect relationships for sure thanks for having me on Prepo absolutely baby yeah I mean, we get to explore this stuff together on our walks around town about, what, once a month or so. And it's just one of my favorite times of the month is just walking around, having dinner, and then just walking around, talking about stuff like this and stuff like that and all sorts of wonderful things. Now we get to do it in my studio. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What a pleasure. So I feel like when there's an addiction in the relationship that it's almost as if there's a third party that's in the relationship. It's almost like there's a threesome happening and the partner that's got the addiction is giving themselves over to this substance or this process, depending on what the addiction is. And it really drives a wedge between, between the two, the two partners and all sorts of strange things start happening that uh, dissociate the partners from from one another and that start to create rifts and start to create all sorts of um, misunderstandings and uh, resentments and things get built up. So really, on the basic level, it's like having another partner in, in the relationship. So it's almost like an infidelity yeah, I totally agree with that because the attention goes there and there's also a lot of denial when one of the partners that's not addicted brings up the aspects of the addiction like alcohol. The other person really downplays it. They deny it. They deny it um, just like they would an affair, just like they would their their affair partner. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to see it. And uh, they do end up paying way more attention to the third party, as you're saying, the the mistress, so to speak. Yeah. And that's one, one way that it really gets in between the relationship. I feel the best way out of that vicious cycle is for the non-addicted partner to get support and get help and get their own counseling or get their own uh, treatment of sorts. And Al-Anon is such a great resource for that. Tell, tell, tell me what Al-Anon is for those that don't know. Al-Anon is, uh, is a system developed to support the partners of people that are having trouble with addiction. And it, it, it works so well, not only for people that are having trouble with their partners with addiction, but people that are having trouble with their partners in general. Even people that aren't having trouble, like everybody should be going to Al-Anon because basically what it is, is it's a, it's a way to learn boundaries. It's a way to learn how to be in relationship without the other person infiltrating um, and... Uh, being codependent. That's the big one. Exactly. Stop being codependent. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's been around for a really long time. So you're standing on the shoulders of people that have come before you. There are a lot of patterns that will happen that are very tell, telltale uh, 
things that will happen to a person's life when they're having when when they're battling an addiction and a lot of those those behaviors and ways of being um, are very obvious to somebody that um, that goes to Al-Anon and learns about these things yeah because codependency shows up a lot of times with for instance the tendency to do more of their share all the time that partner does more of the share um, they confuse uh, love and pity. Um, they exaggerate all responsibilities of the other. Yeah. Um, extreme need for approval and recognition. Fear of uh, abandonment and being alone. Yeah. Um, they also have a difficulty identify feelings because they're so intertwined with the other person's feelings that they don't even know their, their own. Um, and like you said, they have a lot of problems with intimacy and boundaries. So. They really need to take a look at that when there's a um, addiction in the, in their relationship, and and the addicted partner is whether they're getting help or not. Them getting help themselves through Al-Anon and so forth really helps them look at those boundaries. I think that's the the where most people that are having relationship issues go wrong. It's that they put the blame on the other person, and they where the the blame's got to go. The blame's got to go on the substance and the other person's rela- relationship to the substance. Right. And it's so important to, um, you know, the antidote to that is self care and education and boundaries and communicating those boundaries. And you'll have a whole team of folks behind you supporting you when you go to Al Anon. And the best thing about it is that it's free, mm. it doesn't cost anything. Right. So there's no reason not to go. If anyone's out there listening and you're having any kind of troubles in your relationship because there's a substance involved or an addiction an addiction involved, just go to an Al-Anon meeting like this week and there'll be a whole door that'll open up to this beautiful castle of education and understanding and experience that's like, I don't know, 50 plus years. I don't know how many years it's been mm. around, but many, many years, hundreds of thousands of people have been, lives have been saved through Al-Anon. It's, it's a number one referral that I give, that I give to um, families of, uh, of, of my clients. And we're talking about families. We're talking about children. We're talking about parents, not just the partner of the addict. Right. They have Alateen. Mm. for teenagers to be mm. able to get some support if they have siblings or if they have a parent. Because codependency can go um, cross-generation, generational. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And if it's not cleaned up, if it's not worked on in this generation, you better believe it's going to get passed down to the next generation. And the children are probably saying one of the non-addictive parent being codependent, and so they're following in those footsteps too. Exactly. Walking on eggshells, being in, not talking about it. Um, suppressing their feelings, thinking that they're the problem. Enabling behavior. Enabling behavior. Yeah. Something that you said earlier that I think that is is really vital is the non-addictive partner to, to be able to see that the substance, the relationship with the substance is the behavior. It's not the person. Right. So there's a difference between judging the person as opposed to not liking the behavior. And I think that's so hard for the non-addicted person to uh, to decipher and to separate the difference of support and love, but not putting up with the behavior. Yeah, that's right. I love you and 
After you have that second glass of wine, you become a different person. That's right. It's not okay with me. It's not okay with me. And I'm not going to be around it if you continue that behavior. I think that's a big boundary that some people, some counselors don't tell people to do. And I think we're in line with that of being able to tell your partner, it's not okay with me. And if you continue to behave like this, I'm not going to be in your presence. I love you, but I'm not going to be in your presence. That's right. That's right. So when you're working with an addicted person, what's the difference between advocating uh, sobriety and advocating moderation? That is the million dollar question right? for so <laughs> many folks. Man, oh man. So many folks. Yeah. I feel like it's trial and error for that for that person. And you know, when we first start working together, I assess uh, where that person's at. And based on that assessment is when I'll give my thoughts about, um, you know, if I feel like their goals are attainable. So somebody comes to me and, um, and if they tell me that their goal is moderation, then, you know, I'm gonna assess what, like how deep and, how much trouble they've gotten into with the law, how much trouble they've gotten into um, with their families, yeah, what, their what partners. Do you, what do you do with that part? Like if if they say they want moderation, but you know or you find out that um, their marriage is on the rocks, let's say that, that the other partner is saying this has to stop or I'm not going to be in this relationship anymore. And that addictive person is coming to you and saying, I need to look at moderation. To me, that that is almost in denial of an aspect of choosing that substance again in moderation as opposed to the relationship. I know it's hard when one person threatens, but sometimes there is that aspect of that can be a boundary. It's a non-negotiable item. Like I will not continue to be in this relationship because of all these things that have been dysfunctional in our lives, all the things that are creating dysfunction in our financial life, our sex life, our connection. So that one partner is asking for sobriety and the other partner is advocating, the addictive partner is advocating more of moderation. Do you step in and 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 kind of give them some reality check? What I like to do is I like I like for them to for them to understand that it's a balance. And if they're not able to show up in their relationship, then they might very well lose that relationship. And I, and I, over the weeks that we work together, I help them to see how their choices are either adding to that positive balance, that, that sense of connection with themselves and with, and with their partner and with the flow and ease of their life or if the exact opposite is happening. So I would never really say to somebody right off the bat, session one, Mm -hmm. um, oh, you know, I've spoken to, or you tell me that your partner demands that, that, that you're a hundred percent sober. So you need to be a hundred percent sober. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, after we do an assessment, you know, if they've had three DUIs, and um, you know, then I might then I might actually talk about sobriety as really you know as a mandatory um, way of life for them 
if it's that deep in, they're getting in trouble with the law, they lost their job, you know, their their marriage is, you know. You have to assess the bottoming out. Are they understanding? Are they yeah, bottoming out? Exactly. I got I to gotta make that assessment. Um, but really what I try to do is I try to work with the person's goals because everybody is so different. There's not, there's not a black and white way to handle it, you know, and, 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 and the times that I've been the most successful with helping somebody to really increase the quality of their life and have the kind of life that they want to have and manage their addiction or just manage their, I should say, manage their relationship to a substance. There you go. That's another relationship, yeah, isn't it? In that exactly. whole thing. Yeah. To manage the relationship to the substance or the process, if it's a sex addiction, a porn, a porn addiction, uh, food addiction, shopping addiction, whatever it is, really the best way to do it is, is over time with awareness. They're able to see how their choices are affecting their life. And they're, they're the ones to run the run the show to guide the ship of sobriety or moderation so what i'm hearing you say also is that it's a long ride i don't think people recognize how much time and effort and work the transformation takes place you know not only for changing and transforming their relationship to the substance but then if they're in relationship the recovery of the relationship takes so much time because it's got to build back the trust and the trust is what I think is the collateral damage most in the relationship is losing the trust. That's right. That's right. It's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. No, it takes a while. It, uh, and there's, and they have to know that there's setbacks. Cause I know that that's one of the biggest things is the aspect of, of addiction. It's not, it's not consistent lateral. It's not lateral movement. There's a lot of, slippages and a yeah. lot of sabotage that that happens and yeah and so it's really understanding that it is a long-term discipline focus yeah towards a healthy life yeah so yeah what you're talking about is relapse and relapse and when and when you know when someone who's had troubles and issues with uh turning towards an exterior substance or process to really find what they were looking for in their in the, in their life, um, when they when they move away from the substance and start to move deeper into their own experience and deeper into insight, and then it runs yeah there runs the risk for a relapse to happen. And when the relapse does happen, then it's a great opportunity for that for that person to really go even deeper into what's behind the what's behind the move towards the substance? What are they trying to get out of? What are they trying to get out of their lives from using the substance? What's lacking in their lives from not using, not using the substance? So the relapse can actually become a, a, a very important time for that person to really reconfirm what it is that they're looking for and what it is that they want and what it is that they don't want. And that's the reason why it's so important for the partner of a person who's battling with a substance addiction or process addiction to get support and to have boundaries. Because yeah. if they don't, then that, then that person does not, the addict does not know where the boundary is. 
and they will just keep pushing it and they'll just keep looking for it. And the other person really needs to be in touch with understanding what emotions and feelings are coming up for them. They got to really recognize it and name it and also see how that is reminding them of aspects in other areas of their life. You know, um, I know this is not a given, but of course, shame really comes up a lot when around addiction cycle for both partners. Um, and then the aspect of self-compassion has to be an antidote to some aspect of that shame, but not understanding some of the shame cycle for both of them is understanding it is crucial. Yeah. So getting in touch with what exactly the feelings are and how much of that is directed to what's going on in the relationship and the other person and how much is it is their own relationship to other things in the past. Yeah. I feel like mindfulness and meditation as a practice uh, is such a wonderful way uh, to not get hooked into these like hard, like hardwired patterns that uh, keep couples and keep individuals away from really experiencing the full spectrum of joy in life. And I feel like a regular meditation practice, even if it's just five to 20 minutes a day, can can really help somebody to um, to have their compass continually uh, be pointing in the right direction when it gets off kilter. It's crucial. Yeah, having that navigation compass to understand when they're in their own alignment and so they're empowered to be able to also hold those boundaries, that's also crucial. Yeah, totally. And and really, my meditation practice has taught me so much about about when I'm not in alignment. And when I wake up in the morning and I feel some anxiety or something's off, I just get on the cushion, I put in my headspace. That's the way I like to do it. I put in the... Uh, Headspace uh, meditation app, and it guides me through a wonderful sit, um, and I'm able to to really notice what I'm feeling and notice what I need for that for that day, and give myself uh, whatever it is that I that I do need. And it's mindfulness meditation practice that helps get me there. And so now with the uh, the apps that are available, that's that's so accessible for people to be yeah. able to to just have that right right handy right in front of them to be able to have a mindfulness practice that's guided. And what I love about the head, the headspace meditation app in particular is that it's a system. It's not, you know, some of the other apps out there are more one-offs, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, that felt good. That was really nice. You know, nice 20 minutes of listening to that person guide me through an inner experience in my body, body scan and you know, all that. But the headspace app is specifically designed as a step-by-step, day-by-day educational tool of how to work with anxiety, how to work with depression, how to work with relationship issues, how to get a better a better uh, work, work performance or more um, you know, better sports performance. They've got like like twenty five different categories that you could do these thirty day blocks packs of meditations and I've been doing this for three years mostly daily and I've gone through almost all the packs and I'll tell you it is such sophisticated psychology it really blows my mind away and you know the guy that created it Andy Pudicombe he's really amazing at at um, 
creating an experience that really has helped millions of people. I mean, he's got millions of downloads of this of this app mm. to really achieve their wellness goals. It's it's a really brilliant system. I'm a big fan. Does that help people to recognize, you know, the pull, the craving, so to speak, towards the substance? You know, a lot of people they speak towards that that craving, and it's an automatic reaction. Um, and it's good to be able to have a system or training to actually feel the pause to recognize that trigger, so to speak. Is it a trigger that it's a craving for the substance, or is it a trigger that created anxiety or conflict or worry? So can you speak to aspects of helping people recognize the trigger that's not really, let's say, the you know, the biting at the lip to go ahead and have the substance itself, but it's actually the trigger that makes them go towards the substance. Yeah, I feel like it's it's partly the thought and it's partly the somatic feeling, the body-based feeling that moves somebody to to that next high or that or that next hit. So it's like um, you know, it's the thought of, "Oh, I need a drink." But it's also something's happening in the body and when and when somebody can can pause and really feel into what that actually feels like and breathe into it, then there's a whole world of possibility and choice. Can you give us an example? Like when somebody comes home, I hear it over and over again. Oh, I'm home and I just want, I just want to relax and I just, just that beer is going to take off the edge, they, they say. What do you think is, what, what, most, what are most people experiencing somatically in their body when they want to take off the edge? I don't know what most people are feeling, but I'll tell you what I what I feel. What are you feeling, buddy? Yeah, tell us I, what you're feeling. When I come home uh-huh. and I and I have that and I have that thought is is what I feel is that oh there's gonna be instant relief. Relief. It's gonna be relief. I'm gonna stop thinking about my day and then I'm gonna be able to focus more enjoyably on cooking dinner or the next thing or whatever it is. So it's a sense of relief. Right. And Sometimes if I can if I can pause and hear myself say that, oh, I need a drink. If I hear myself say that, it doesn't mean that I need to then go ahead with that thought. I can have the thought. If I pause and really breathe into the somatic feeling, the body-based feeling of that, and just hang out there for a minute or two then some other choice might, might, might present itself. Oh, you know, let me go say a big hello to my kids. Let me ask them about their day. Let me take the dog for a walk, get some exercise, you know? Yeah, let me lie down and stretch a little bit, get yeah. some relief in my body. Yeah. I, get, I think it gets also a little complicated when people are having challenges in their relationship and they feel that they can't go towards their relationship for relief. Instead, they actually need a substance to actually be able to go towards their relationship. Yeah. And I think that's where it gets really tricky. And if and if that were happening to me and I was regularly sitting on the cushion practicing meditation, I would catch that. I would catch that thought. I would catch that feeling of moving away from my partner and moving towards the bottle. I would catch it. That's the beauty of of daily practice of meditation. The beauty is then I'm more likely to catch 
those thoughts and I'm more likely to have choice and not believe them, you know? Because if I'm doing that on a consistent basis, if I'm like moving away from my chosen life partner, Hmm. you know, if I'm doing that, if I can catch that, then, and if I have choice of what to do with that, then I might, I might choose something different. And I might, I might even choose to say, Hey babe, you know, we need to go on a date tomorrow night. Right. I'm going to take you out on a date tomorrow night. We're going to go out to dinner or we're going to go to the Biltmore and have a picnic. You know, we're going to just find a way to connect. We're going to find a way to connect. Right. But if I'm not practicing, I'm less likely to catch that. And I'm, and I'm more likely just to kind of be led by my subconscious mind. That's going to lead me to reach for the magic pill. That's going to lead me to to reach for the first thing that's going to relieve me of that subtle suffering. Where I'm like, I won't even, I don't even know that it's suffering because it's so subtle. But really, it's a form of su- of suffering. And sometimes reaching for that substance has a lot of the origin of what perhaps that substance first maybe brought out in people. I had a client some years ago who, when he was, I think, a, a late teenager, the drinking really brought out his inhibitions that he would be able to dance and be social. And therefore, he was able to be with girls and be with more people socially. And he associated then the drinking to be more of himself without inhibitions. And of course, more of that drinking led to the opposite. He was more, you know, more repelled. He was more uh, rejected, so to speak, from, from people in a social standpoint. But the, the inner blueprint of what the substance, in this case, the alcohol was initially trying to bring out. So instead what he did was really worked on the aspect of how to bring out his inhibitions in alignment with his true self as a focal point instead of focusing on not drinking. So that was an interesting take. It was more focused on how can he bring out his true expression of himself. And as he did that, he didn't have a desire to drink. He actually saw the opposite when he drank that that suppressed his true self. Beautiful. That's a beautiful story of how insight and awareness can help somebody to make better choices that are going to be in line with their goals for their life. And that's what it's all about. And that's what I find with a lot of my clients that that once they get to the root of what they're really wanting from that substance and what's really holding them back from getting there, once they're able to do that, then they're able to to, to make different choices and it actually becomes easy. It's not just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stop drinking. I gotta, you know, it, this sucks. This is just not, you know, life's just not going to be enjoyable anymore. Like, no, the exact opposite is actually true. You know, they kind of like go through the eye of the needle and then on the other side, there's this incredible world of possibility where colors are brighter and it's present. It's they're, they're, presence. It's, yeah, it's yeah. bringing in presence. Yeah, and I think that's the, um, the big ramifications and the consequences, of course, of substances. People think that they are becoming more present in some aspect, but they're not in the inner aspect of their own presence of what they're giving to them, to their world and, and their relationship. And I think that's one of the challenges for people to really understand what is presence. I mean, I feel like I feel like. 
it could be helpful and beneficial in in the right setting, in the right dose. Salute. Thanks. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to sit here and just totally knock a glass of wine, you know, as you're as you're eating eating, you know, a nice cut of filet mignon or um you know, something like that, you know. And it's more of when it becomes when it becomes hardwired in and habitual and habitual. Yeah, yeah. Like there have been plenty of times that my wife and I will have a couple glasses of wine and you know, it'll put us in a little bit of a looser state, you know, we start connecting in ways that we hadn't been hadn't been connected and it's actually a positive experience, you know, and it's more of the habitual times it's more of the using it as an escape and using it as a way to get unmet needs met that's like going outside of the relationship right with the person and of course like the telltale signs of when it's a problem is when there's issues at work issues with the family dui issues with the law health issues you know someone smoking cigarettes so much and then you know they're getting chronic lung infections and they're still smoking you know health issue is a big one especially with uh alcohol because a lot of people don't see the present ramifications of of alcohol and so many studies are showing even now some new studies have come out that there is like no healthy amount of moderation like it's just showing that it is unhealthy for us and the cumulative effect i think really happens more for people so they don't see it in the in the present moment around their health yeah and i i have many clients that are the non-addictive partner that's one of their biggest concerns and worries and resentment that they have towards their partner that hey in five years and ten years i'm going to be having to take care of your health you're not going to be around us you're not going to be healthy you're not going to be able to hike with us play with the kids and there's a lot of resentment that comes up for the non-addictive partner and of course, that's where you're saying that Al-Anon can help so much so that they take more responsibility of self-care, self-soothing themselves, um, looking at the codependency issues. But it's that issue and that problem is still there. It's, it's there in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Being in a relationship with somebody who is having problems with alcohol and drugs or some process addictions is like driving a car without a driver's license. That's a real nice way to put it. Yeah. Let me actually, I forgot to say one, one important part of that, not going to Al-Anon and being in a relationship with somebody that's having problems with drugs and alcohol and process addictions is like driving a car without a driver's license. Mm. Tell more about that. Because Al-Anon really gives the roadmap. It gives the it, it gives you it gives you the the context and the framework of how to be in relationship with somebody that's having these issues. And without that, it's just like trying to reinvent the wheel every every single time and it's 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 not intuitive it's like okay i see somebody suffering i want to help them so i'm going to do everything that i can to help them right when you go to al-anon it's like okay you see that person suffering you need to do everything you can do to help yourself 
And you actually have to have boundaries around that, hardcore boundaries. And then you get to hear from all these different people that had different experiences with their family members that have been in the program for months or years. You know, so you get the roadmap laid out right in front of you and you can get a sponsor to really help you to really stay in it because it's really hard. It's not an easy thing. No, it's not an easy thing to to in- count your partner's number of beers that they drank tonight. I mean, that's right. That's suffering. Like what, what you said is yeah. when one of the partners constantly monitoring the addictive partner's behavior and then, of course, having resentment from it. Yeah. Not being able to speak to it at that moment, not be able to have self-care. And then it comes out in a in a huge reactionary way and the addictive partner doesn't know where it's coming from or then uh, blames the other partner for their huge reaction and the and the fight becomes about how it's being delivered and so forth and it becomes a real dysfunctional cycle. Suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is the definition of suffering? Um, isn't it looking at what it is that you want and between what is in the present, in between that, that's a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. What it is that you can actually, what it is that you need to accept as opposed to what it is that you really want. And that's usually this big change that we want. And there's a lot of suffering that takes in, in the middle. So. You're saying that Al-Anon really helps people really work with the acceptance of what is and how to put their, their boundaries with it. Exactly. Like you can't you can't expect that person to change at all whatsoever. So I just want to plug like um, w- neither one of us and Corey's not a Al-Anon sponsor. He doesn't get any money from <laughs> Al-Anon and he doesn't have his own meetings. He just sees how beneficial it, it is for especially the non-addictive partner or family member to that's the way for them to be healthy is yeah. to get that kind of support. Totally. That and Headspace too. <laughs> you know, I just use Headspace every single day and a lot of my clients do, the ones that are successful um, and are achieving their goals. And yeah, the same thing with Al-Anon. And the best way to relieve the suffering that's in a relationship is for just one person to get support. Yeah, you're right, because the aspect of people in a relationship are in a system, whether it's a family or partnership. And when one part of the system shifts, the system has to shift. In what direction? I have no freaking idea, but it's got to shift. Yeah. So it might as well be the one that has control, which is, let's say it's me. I got to be the one that shifts. Can't wait for the other partner to shift, the other person in, in the system to shift. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the empowerment and having some influence and control. That's right. I see it all the time with teens. Like, you know, if a teen is really struggling, then I recommend, of course, for that teen to get support. But if if that teen is resistant to support, then I recommend that anyone else in the family get support for themselves. And once they get the support, once one person in that family system shifts, the whole system shifts. You're absolutely right. It's a complicated issue, but it's one that that is prevalent, and it's also one that can be on the road to healthy recovery. It just takes some time. It takes some focus. It takes discipline. It takes support. You know, we, we want to give people hope out there, um, but we also don't want to cut it short that it's a, it's an easy road. It's a challenging, complicated road 
takes in all kinds of considerations of people's, let's say, past and generation and their upbringing and their relationship with substance, their relationship with anxiety and depression and worry. And you got to look at all dimensions of it. But people that actually start to do that work end up transforming um, the challenges of addiction. I think it's fun. I think the work is fun. And, um, you know, with the context of, you know, this can actually be fun. This can actually be something that uh, shifts my, my perception of reality, that shifts my perception of enjoyment and um, can, uh, can ultimately lead to an increased quality of life for me and my family. You know, this thing we call work, you know, doing, right, the, work, doing the work, doing the work, you know, step by step, little by little, it can actually be really interesting and really fun. That's what I love about you, man, because you do your work. I do. You do your work. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is doing the work right now. That's right. Here we are. We're yeah. doing our work. We're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Oh, for sure. We've got to do it again. Let's do it. All right. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed psychotherapist Kripo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Thank you.